Welcome to the AKC Podcast, an audio resource for the King's community following the Associateship of King's College programme. The AKC is an inclusive, research-led programme of lectures, which explore diverse religious and cultural perspectives. For more information, visit kcl.ac.uk forward slash AKC. Lecture resources and further reading links for this lecture are available on the AKC Keats area. Um, welcome to this, this uh, session of our AKC series on climate change. As you can see, we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, we've got this um, professor-student uh, panel um, that, uh, that, that, that we've decided to put on in collaboration with the Climate Action Society, one of the student societies uh, here at King's. Um, just a bit of background, we were going to have a lecture um, today from uh, Roger Hallam, who was who's one of the co-founders of Extinction Rebellion and a former PhD student here at King's. Um, we had to change that plan because Roger was in prison um, and he, he was actually released at the end of last week, but we didn't expect him to be able to come to give this lecture today, so we decided to do something different and, and, and here we are. Um, so I'm just going to begin by introducing the panel um, and then we'll be, we'll be hearing from... From, from obviously from the panellists, but also hopefully from some of you as well. So I'm really pleased to welcome our external guest, uh, Sarah Lennon here, who is um, the media support, who works as media support for uh, Just Stop Oil. Uh, and before that, she was part of the Extinction Rebellion uh, political circle. So she's a colleague of, of Roger Hallam's. Um, she has a background as a Green Party councillor. Uh, she worked, she worked um, in, in, in politics until, I think, 2017, where she, she decided um, that direct action was, was more important, and so she became a full-time volunteer with um, organisations such as XR and, and Just Stop Oil. And when we were chatting earlier, um, Sarah said that she didn't want me to introduce her as an activist, and I asked her, asked her why, and she said that it implies that that's a sort of separate class of people rather than being, you know, being a normal person and part of the society um, that she wants to protect from, um, from, from, from climate change. And then um, also we have joining us um, Franz Burkhardt, who is a professor here at King's of Environment, Society and Climate. Um, he's a social scientist. Um, and, and just at the beginning of this month, he was appointed also as assistant principal for King's Climate and Sustainability. And that's a new post, um, a new senior leadership role that King's has created, um, I think, to signal a really significant um, significantly intensified commitment to sustainability and um, addressing climate change. And here um, I have Yona, who is a, a climate assistant in the sustainability team, also here at King's. Um, and Yona is actually a King's alumni, al alumna. She, she did uh, her degree in international management at the King's Business School um, and is now working in the climate and sustainability office and then we also have Attila, who is um, a King student. He's, he's doing an MA in the geography department, and he's 
um, a member of the King's Climate Action Society. Um, and I'm really grateful to Attila for actually suggesting that we have this panel and then helping to organise it. Um, and Attila now is going to just um, say a few words and, and, and talk about the kind of the kind of engagement he wants to have from from you um, as well as as well as from us. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Claire. So my name is Attila, and um, the uh, the name is from Turkey, so is the family. My accent is German, though, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, like like you, I was following this very exciting lecture series on climate change actually from over there for the last couple of weeks and, and last semester as well. And for once, I wanted to break this divide here. I wanted to have an interactive discussion uh, because I really think we need to talk. And we need to talk because this topic affects all of us, not in here, but actually when we leave this place. And with so many students coming from all over the, the world, wherever you call home, there's a plethora of ideas, views, and future solutions. And I find that very powerful. We're currently at 1.2 degree warming. We're headed for 2.8 degree warming. And our governments around the world, promise, based on their promises, um, we, the best we can currently achieve is around 2.4, 2.5 degrees of warming. So I would like to um, spark a conversation here with you, and I would like to start by introducing you to our guests, to our panel. So I have three questions for you. My first question is to find out, to get a better sense of your capacity in which you're here. So um, if you're here as an undergrad student, please raise your hand. Beautiful, thank you. If you're here as a postgrad student, please raise your hand. Thank you. And if you're here from a faculty, if you're a member of the faculty or a staff, please raise your hand as well. Great, excellent, welcome everyone. My second question is to get a better sense of where you're from. So if you're from abroad, if you, wherever it is, please raise your hand. <laughs> right, cool, thank you. Who is from the UK? <laughs> you can raise your hand as well. <laughs> thank you. Great. Thank you very much. And so I have one last question. And after this one, we'll hear from Sarah. We'll kickstart the panel and then we'll come back to you. Look at the person next to you, please. And find out why that person is here. I would like to offer you this opportunity to speak to that person. If that person next to you happens to be your best friend, please look the other direction. <laughs> and so please take this moment. You have 30 seconds. So this is an elevator pitch. Just find out why that person is here. Thank you very much. Let, it's time now to, uh, to hand over to, uh, to our guest speaker, Sarah London. I must say I'm, I'm really um, very grateful to Sarah. She's come all the way from, from Stroud, um, from, from the west of England, to come here to King's today um, to speak to us. And so we've invited her to give a kind of mini keynote um, as part of this panel. So Sarah, thanks so much for coming and over to you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm slightly uncomfortable about delivering this sitting down. I, I don't know why. It just, it just feels slight, slightly odd to me because I, I can't pace about. Um, so... Given that, um, I said that I would talk 
about our responsibilities at this time. And Just Stop Oil um, does a series of talks on our responsibilities at this time. And in fact, I'd like to say to Attila, we would be delighted to come and speak to um, whatever the student body you can get together and give that lecture to, um, to the King's students, which takes over an hour. Um, so this is a sort of mini response, our responsibilities at this time. So what is this time? It's 2023. We've known about the impacts of carbon on our environment for over 100 years. We've known with almost complete certainty since the 1960s what the impact was going to be if we continued to add carbon to our environment. And those impacts are devastating. And yet, in 2023, the UK government is about to licence well, is going to licence, probably in March, over 100 new exploratory oil and gas fields. And they are going to allow Rosebank, Jackdaw, Cambo, and one other, which I can't remember, another oil field in the North Sea to come online. Humanity is now a force of nature. As Attila said, we have heated the globe by 1.2 degrees. It's incredible. I mean, it is utterly incredible what we have achieved. The once stable climate of the Holocene, the last 10,000 years, that stable climate allowed everything that we see as being part of humanity, that we recognise, music, science, manufacturing, culture, theatre, everything that we see as humanity developed in the last 10,000 years. And the climate that allowed that to happen, that allowed our food to grow, agriculture to develop, it's gone. We are no, we are no longer living in that climate. It's like footsteps in the sand slowly disappearing. It's a mirage. What we think we know of the future no longer actually applies. A chap called James Hansen has recently published a paper. He co-authored it with a number of other individuals respected climate scientists. And he suggests in this paper, James Hansen is often known as the grandfather of climate change. He gave evidence to the Senate in America in the 1980s, and he told us what was going to happen if we continued putting carbon into the atmosphere. And he has been proved right time and time again. James Hansen is currently suggesting the amount of carbon we now have in the atmosphere is going to warm us by 10 degrees. 10 degrees. We will no longer exist at 10 degrees. It is an extinction-level event. We are already an extinction-level event. We are losing species at a, at a rate which has not been seen before in the geological record. We are a force of nature, and we now risk ourselves. 10 degrees. Very little that we see around us exists. 1.2 degrees, the southeast burst into flames this summer because we hit 40 degrees. That was not expected at 1.2 degrees of warming. We have no understanding of 10 degrees, none. We have no understanding, really, of what 3 degrees will look like, what tipping points we will hit. And that's where we're heading. We know that 
We know we're going to hit three degrees if we continue with business as usual. Hansen is suggesting the science is actually worse than that. The paper has yet to be peer-reviewed. But 10 degrees, it's unthinkable. It's literally unthinkable. And the plan, the current plan, is to make all of this worse for the next 30 years. That we overshoot 1.5 degrees as if the complex, chaotic climate is a series of figures on an accountancy sheet and we can merely move them around and pay them off. Complex systems don't work like that. Tipping points do not work like that. What we're actually talking about is the end of ordered, complex society. The end of universities. The end of our healthcare. The end of our complex supply systems. The end of agriculture. And it won't be pretty as it unfolds. The International Energy Agency, Antonio Guterres, the head of the United Nations, Chatham House, even the MOD, take your pick. New oil and gas is the plan for the deaths of countless millions of people. The IPCC has suggested that half of Africa will be on the move by 2050, over 700 million people. That's just Africa. So, that's where we are. Now, breaking the law is not generally the right thing to do. Public order is important. It allows us to do stuff, move around. It allows us to feel safe. And it offers some protection to the weak from the strong. If you're going to break the law, there has to be a very high level of justification to do so. Something has to have become more important than obedience. And we know this. We don't need a clever legal argument to understand this. Consider Anne Frank. The people who hid Anne Frank were breaking the law. Those who came and took her away were breaking it. We all know who was doing the right thing in that case. Right now, I would suggest it is our responsibility at this time for the common good to disrupt the public, to cause a nuisance, to break the law. Because right now, allowing business as usual to continue Right now, public order is actually destroying our common good. It is allowing the carbon economy to continue. Indeed, it is allowing it to thrive. This year, five oil companies made over £200 billion worth of profit. They really are doing okay. So, I ask you... I ask everyone in this room today, everybody, when you're faced with the greatest crime ever visited on humanity, what should you do? Over a hundred people have been imprisoned this year. Some are still imprisoned. Marcus and Morgan climbed over the Queen Elizabeth Bridge over the M25. They've been imprisoned for over 130 days waiting for trial. David Nixon, who dared to say the words climate change and insulation in a British court after he'd been banned from doing so by the judge, is currently in prison. <clears throat> I've got
forgotten where I was. <clears throat> That's what happens when you read from your notes. Those people decided to take action. They accepted a responsibility. They accepted that when you are faced with a government that is actively harmful, you no longer have a duty to obey it. And you have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to ourselves, to the future, to those generations as yet unborn. We have a responsibility to do something. Our law is failing us. It is not fit for purpose. We can see that. Our democracy is failing us. We have known for decades what the carbon economy is going to do to us, and we have allowed it to continue. Democracy is broken. It cannot protect us. It's 2023, and we are going to have everything we cherish taken from us. We are going to lose those we love. Either we enter into civil resistance, an extreme situation, and that's what we are facing, an extreme situation, a government planning for the deaths of millions. An extreme situation requires an extreme response, and refusing to obey the law is considered an extreme response. Either we do that, or we have to be prepared, and we have to accept that we are going to be complicit in genocide and the loss of a livable world. I believe it's time to pick a side. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. So this AKC series um, is called Climate Change, What Can We Do About It? Or What Should We Do About It? And we really wanted to focus on that ethical question. We all know about climate change, so of course the question is, how do we respond? What do we do? So um, Sarah's just presented um, a, very, a moral argument, basically, um, that completely connects with that, that theme of the series. Um, I'm going to hand over to Franz now to respond to Sarah or to whatever, whatever you would like to, to share with us, Franz. Well, I suppose to have a panel, you need a, you need a, a range of opinions. So let me just put it in, you know, put, put the case... Uh, slightly differently, which is that um, it's right that John Tyndall demonstrated in the Royal Institution here down the road in the 1850s that uh, carbon dioxide had, had a particular impact on warming the atmosphere. And so we've known about this for about 160 years. Um, and that, you know, uh, the scientific community around this, the World Climate Organization in those days, you know, created the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in the late 70s. Uh, uh, beginning in the late 70s, the first uh, uh, report was in 1990. And the governments were part of that. So governments have been part of understanding what climate science was saying about the future of the climate. And James Hansen was, was part of that, uh, that process in the beginning. Um, for a very long time. And I think um, it is also true to say, though, that we have been part of a process of transition away from fossil fuels for a very long time. So that in the UK, more than 40% of electricity generated last year was from renewable sources. Huge investments in wind and solar uh, and so on. 
at a global level, uh, capital investment in electric power uh, 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 that was renewable um, uh, reached more than 50% about five years ago. So if you look at sort of total capital expenditure in new power generation globally, um, already five years ago, most of it was going into renewables. So we are very much part of a, a, a deep restructuring of energy economies and have been actually for the last 15 years. Uh, and that has been caused by government regulation, it's been caused by you know, corporate investment in innovation, uh, uh, and also changing consumer behaviour. I think it's very important also to talk about our own responsibilities and what we can do uh, in terms of you know, the power we consume, making sure it's green, what we eat, how we travel, uh, and, and so on. Uh, and business has a very important role because the new technologies, the new ways of doing things, the marketing campaigns associated with that uh, will actually come from business and banks are, are, are central to that as well. I mean, we have at the moment very interesting discussions at the international level about the reform of the multi multilateral system. The new likely head of the World Bank, for instance, is going to be driving climate right into the centre of the lending policies that the World Bank does. So I think I would argue that a huge amount is happening the question, of course, is, is it happening quickly enough? And can we reach the goals that were set in Paris in 2015 uh, uh, or not? And what will the consequences be of, of not achieving those goals? So whereas I do understand completely the, the passion and the anger and frustration with the slow progress uh, of change, actually this deep-seated transition towards net zero is something which is well underway, is accelerating. You read about it all around you, uh, your own behaviour, what the options that are available to you uh, are changing. Uh, and I think we all have a responsibility. I do agree with you completely on that. Um, but the idea that um, you know creating civil disorder is the only way of getting change, I think that's too narrow. I think change is happening right through uh, society and I'd just say that, you know, King's is, King's is part of that and the fact that I've just been appointed this month to this role to embed climate and sustainability into everything we do in this university. Um, by the way, I do hope that universities survive. I mean, universities as institutions have existed for six or seven hundred years already in Europe and I suspect that they have a way to go. But only through transforming ourselves um, can we actually, you know, play a role in that transition, which we're now all part of. Thank you. Um, I'm going to pass over to Yona now just to talk a bit more about the King's context. But then, Sarah, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. So I'll, I'll do that once I've passed over um, to Yona. But yes, yeah, so um, as Fran says, King's is really committed um, and sort of increasingly committed to sustainability. And um, we'd like to hear a bit more from you about your work and how, how King's is trying to take forward this response to climate change. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really interesting to hear the, these different perspectives. And I think, Claire, um, I think Sarah did a, a really good job like showing the skill of the issue. Uh, and I think there's also definitely the point of, of progress around all of this. Um, but the question is, 
I think always, is it enough? As he also said, like, is it fast enough? Um, and I think also thinking back, uh, just to share some reflections and I'll bring it to the King's context um, about what change we need and on the question of what can we do. Um, I think it comes down to the story of kind of the human transformation. Um, I think there's many technological solutions and a lot of like also scientific progress, which is very, very important, very cru crucial, but in some cases it just puts, let's say, a plaster on the issue instead of really transforming what we need. And I think we, the root cause lies in humanity and like how we have transformed ourselves. And I think also to find the solution, we need to have the transformation in uh, humanity and we look for that systems change. Um, and I think that's both the easiest and hardest action because we don't have to wait for someone to implement a policy to say, oh, we have to, um, you can now, you now have the power to do this and that, you can actually come to ourselves. But obviously this comes down to changing the the core of our being, which I think is then also simultaneously the, mm -hmm. the hardest thing to do. Um, and I also find it interesting on the, on the question of responsibility, because we are talking a lot, lot about responsibility and whose responsibility is this. Um, and I would say the more kind of authority and power you have, the more responsibility you have. But in the end, it, it is also all of our individuals' responsibility, because society is made up of individuals. Uh, and I think that's also at something that all of us like we have to um, have to embrace that we all do have a responsibility to some extent um, and last week when I was thinking about this lecture um, I was listening to John Mayer's song uh, waiting for the world to change and it really got me thinking about then like okay are we just waiting are we just sitting back or what can we do to actually stop waiting and uh, find action around us um, so in terms of then the, the king's context, I think there's loads of ways. So we, we have heard of civil disobedience, we hear about research. I think there's loads of ways that um, you can get involved and you can make that change. And I think it's very personal in terms of what works best for you. Um, I think some people, it might be most effective to go to the streets. Other people um, might have that impact through their research. I think also in terms of education, um, there's always I think looking at the bigger picture and thinking about kind of the change in humanity, think about whether we can reflect on like what we are trying to achieve on this planet. It is quite big, big questions, but I think that is something that we should always have in the back of our mind if we're thinking about engineering, if we think about investment banking, whatever you are interested in, what are we actually trying to achieve with this and how can we make sure that it has a good impact on this world instead of just kind of narrowing down and just focusing on kind of the the shorter term, let's say. Um, so, yeah, in I think a way to kind of get there and make sure that we have that impact um, is really about coming together and listening to each other and listening to voices also, if we consider that we're not only talking about climate change and the climate crisis, also other ecological crises, but also socially, the massive inequalities that we have and also how all of these issues interlink. Um, so from our work, like in our team, um, we focus a lot on kind of co-creation um, and really bringing in kind of student and staff voices in all of our work. So we have, for example, the Climate Action Network where we try to bring together all of these different voices um, to make sure that this is what we present. So the Climate and Sustainability Action Plan that was recently released, it was co-created with this network, um, really making sure that those who are kind of impacted 
by this uh, and who will be kind of the ones also driving it forward and holding kings accountable that they are part of the creation of this plan also in terms of education making sure that these voices are included so that includes in terms of extracurricular modules so we have an online module on sustainability and climate that was co-created with students and staff um, making sure that it's like really diverse in its perspectives uh, so making sure that those voices are included um, to really have like a broad sense of of climate and the change that uh, that we need. Um, so yeah, I think it is really about coming together um, and listening listening to each other and thinking, reflecting on ourselves and how we can think about yeah what we want to achieve in this world, what our role is in this world, and having kind of a bigger picture in whatever we do. Uh, thank, thank you, Yona. And so before I hand over to Attila, and, and who's also going to ask if others want to to join this discussion, let me just give Sarah. A um, couple of minutes if you want to respond to anything that's been said since you gave your opening address. Uh, so as was mentioned previously, I have been uh, a green politician and um, I, I left in 2017 and before that I was an elected green. Uh, I spent 15 years as a local councillor and I was active in, in the Green Party before that. I've, I've heard what both of the panellists have said so many times before. I've heard about the processes. I heard that we're going to change the banking system. I've heard that business is looking at sustainability. I've heard these words so many times. They've been talked about so often. The world's come together. We've had meetings of leaders. Governments have got together. And the Keeling curve that monitors the amount of carbon dioxide being put into the atmosphere keeps going up. The extinction level event that we're witnessing, the species keep dying. Nothing changes because we're still talking about incremental change. The reason why our electricity decarbonised is because we closed the coal power stations. We did that because acid rain was hitting the European Union. It was absolutely nothing to do with carbon. And we've basically done nothing since then. Transport emissions on carbon stayed the same. Heating emissions stayed the same. The reason why our emissions have gone down from manufacturing is because we exported them all. Kevin Anderson's crunched the figures on this. We've basically reduced our carbon emissions by 0.5% year on year. We've done nothing, really. What we did with energy was we embedded a new carbon fuel, gas, into the electricity system. So we decarbonised it, but we stayed firmly based on fossil fuel, fuels. COVID is really interesting. COVID shows us exactly what a government can do when it chooses to. Before COVID, we had the World War II mobilisation when this country and America mobilised to defeat fascism. That is what we now need. If you people here, all of us, if you want a future, you need a government to mobilise, like it did in COVID, like it did in World War II. We don't need incrementalism anymore. We need a mobilisation. And we need somebody, some government, to crack and start doing it. I don't doubt that you're all good people, Sylvia. Thank you very much. But you are allowing the forces of delay and denial to continue. You talk about us individually having to change. 
I could be a hermit in a cave and nothing would change. All of you could, re could reduce your carbon footprint to zero and everything would continue exactly as it is. It's an individual change in terms of reducing your carbon footprint and your environmental footprint is going to achieve absolutely right? <laughs> but what will make a change is if you start disobeying and you get out on the streets. And King's proves this because Roger Hallam and some, uh, David, I can't remember his name, spray-painted the front of um, King's College in 2018 and the college principal met him and they disinvested the pensions after a campaign that had gone on for decades. So if you really want to make a change, you need to get active and you need to disobey and we need to break the law because nothing else is going to work. So I'm sure I you, believe. I'm, thank you. I'm sure you, and I know you, you could say much more, but I just want to give... Sorry. Um, no, 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 no. Don't, please don't apologise. We, we definitely want to hear um, what you've got to say while we have you with us. Um, but just let me now um, hand over to Attila. Um, as I said, Attila is a member of the um, Student Society, the Climate Action Society, but I think he also wants to encourage others in the room to, to share their voices too. Right. And um, so I don't want to do so much of talking, but I want to actually briefly reflect on uh, one of the previous lectures here, uh, lectures that we heard from uh, Mike Holm when he was here, and uh, he presented, you know, the spectrum of narratives, of stories, all the way from collapsology to economic fixes. And um, perhaps one of those stories um, uh, seemed more interesting uh, to you than the others, and he left us with the question, what is your story? No? So maybe you have noticed already the, the empty chair here next to me, and uh, perhaps you can already get an idea where I'm getting uh, with this. Um, I would like to actually throw this question back at you. What is your story? Perhaps there's something that inspired you um, back in your home country or in your hometown um, that made you actually become active in climate um, uh, or to study uh, these issues or to be here and follow um, um, these uh, lectures. So let me briefly start with briefly with my story. I'm supporting the Climate Action Society because they're now actually supporting um, a move, a, a petition, we're doing a petition so that the career services at this university stop their engagement, their relationship with fossil fuel companies. We do that because we believe that there is no future in the employment of uh, in the fossil fuel industry and a university shouldn't be promoting that. So, what is your story? Is there anyone and um, who would like to join me, who would like to um, share their views and uh, experience and uh, maybe an inspiration that has uh, motivated you? Yes, I can see uh, hands already. Um, can I ask you to come on stage? Please have a seat next to us. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Um, what is your name? Uh, I'm Oliver. Oliver? Yeah. Um, Oliver, so um, what would you like to share with us here today? Um, so I guess I wasn't really sure what all the fuss was about a few years ago. And then some people parked a, a pink boat in Oxford Street. Like, I grew up in London all my life, so I was like, let me go down and see what this is all about. And I basically came to the realization that we're all going to die unless we do something about it. Like, frankly, that's how it is. And people don't seem to have foresight. 
or they want to be blind because it's an uncomfortable fact that, like, I want to reach my 80s. That's kind of what I expected growing up, that I'd get old, have grandkids. But now it seems cruel to bring children into a world that is going to burn, and I might have a horrible death, right? And I can work hard, you know, get a good job. Like, I'm a mathematician, you know? But at the end of the day, if we don't do something about this, we're all going to die. <laughs> and I just don't understand, and it makes me angry that the people on top are more interested in saying words that look good on a piece of paper, say words that I don't understand, most people don't understand, but like because they're big and fancy, it looks like they're saying something productive. But the actual stats, the statistics, the numbers, the science, like we're not heading in the right direction. And it just makes me angry because we, people are stupid and don't have foresight. Because like we're all going to die, basically. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Applause, please. Applause. I'd just like to say when the mathematicians yes. are getting emotional, you know, that we really need to take notice, right? Like, I should say as well, just while we're handing over the microphone, um, right. one, of the, one of the reasons why I thought it was so important for us to have this series on climate change is just feeling really conscious of, um, of, of, of what it is for, for the generation of, of people who are now, you know, in your position as students, um, of, of, of your age, um, I mean, in a way, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm 45, 46 now, so you're kind of the next generation, and just feeling so conscious of um, the experience that your generation has had growing up with climate change right from the beginning, and the way that's really shaped um, your own sense of your future and, 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 what, and career paths and all, all, all this sort of thing. It just, my sense is that it, all that just looks very different now than it did when I was a child and a teenager and a, and a student growing up so um thank you to was it oliver oliver yes thank you, thank oliver. you oliver thank um, you very yeah. much you, that that was just an extremely eloquent expression of i think what what many of us feel and think um about the situation so thank you um and what is your name uh, my name is taha and so um what would you like to share with us today here what um, so, firstly, thanks for all of it because it reminded me of something that uh, last year in Pakistan, there was this massive, like a super flood, right? And around one third of the country's like population, especially rural population, was uh, displaced. And uh, it, it was horrifying. Like, it's not a country already that has uh, a, an econ economy good enough to, you know, already help a lot of people. And then you have these huge, disastrous uh, climate effects that completely ruin people's lives, right? And it reminds you that Pakistan's emissions is not a lot, right? We, we do not have the industries. We do not have the like, means to produce enough emissions, right? And it reminds you that, A, I understand there's a lot of nuance in the debate, like a lot of developing countries, not the best term even to use there, but a lot of countries that have historically been robbed by the global West have then to face this dilemma where you're like, you do, do not like engage in all of these fossil fuels, but also like you will still face the effects of all of the, all of the like destruction that we've already caused. 
and there are no reparations you're going to get. Any amount of money you're going to get is considered, is going to be given to you as charity. And it just makes you so devastated because these people just genuinely just want to get by. They are, these are farmers. These are people who are already not living in the best conditions. And it is very, like, you recognize that a lot, again, like what Sarah said, that it is primarily because of this huge capitalistic system that these industries continue to prevail. Like, again, these smaller developing countries, they're not doing anything much anyways. It is this global wedge that has continuously decimated the climate, and now you are facing the consequences. And what do you do? Like, what do, are you gonna tell people in Pakistan to be, hey, don't use cars, most people already use bikes. Most people, like, there's not a public transportation. So where are we going to get the money to change that? It's not them that needs to change. It is these massive companies that are getting $200 billion that needs to fundamentally change. Thank you. There's one more lady uh, who wanted to come up and join us. Thank you very much. Hi. What is your name? I'm Maddie Evans, and I'm older than the panel, and I'm a student. <laughs> so, I suppose what I wanted to say is the reason I am a student is because I had a career as a chemical engineer and a data scientist and all those things, and none of that was helping me to make a difference. So I came back to university so that I would actually understand the arguments better because I could see this huge mismatch between what the science was saying and what people were doing. And I, I have a, a message for, as in which is, for every activist you have in jail, I could find you half a million people sitting at their kitchen table cheering you on. That there are hundreds of people in middle-aged people with children and houses and dogs and whatever who cannot get to Queen Elizabeth Bridge, but they have your back and they don't want you to stop. And what we need to do is convert that into votes because what we need to do is change the government. The government's got consultations on any subject you might want to think. They have a room full of them. There's a consultation on gas boilers. There's a consultation on EPC certificates. I do domestic home energy. The answers we need for policy are all exist and they've left them all in a room and locked the door. But they're still there. So if we can change the government, we can get them out of that room and implement them in about 100 days if we wanted to. So actually, the, the, the means to do this exist, but we need to liberalize them. So I know what France says is that it will happen incrementally, and it has been happening already. I'd like it to get very, very asymmetric, like your tipping points. I'd like to go from 2% change a year to 25% change a year. It can still be the same S-shaped graph, but we need a government that actually takes away the things we can't afford to do anymore. We need to get rid of these plastic damn bottles from the university. Why are they even here? <laughs> Why are we even talking about that when we could talk, be talking about really big things? And, you know, we get distracted by litter picking and bottles and doodads, and we actually need to be campaigning for a change of government and the implementation of the science-based changes to society that we need. Most of the people I deal with, people who change their boilers, they are not very interested in central heating systems. They just want a warm house. They don't have time to learn the theory. They don't have time to learn the science. But when a guy comes to their door, he needs to be living in an environment where the government says, you can only fit this house with low carbon. And you need to then be competing in a, an industry which fits low carbon wherever it goes. Same when you buy a car. It should be a small car that is low carbon. 
not a great big one, but we've never legislated to stop them putting trucks on the road. So now the trucks on the road are using more fuel with 20% electric cars than we used when we had 100% small diesel cars. You know, the government is failing to do the things that make ordinary people who just want to get on with their lives do the right thing. And we need a new government to do that. And that's why I'm here, to try and make people understand that we need to change the government, implement the things we need to do. So we, and we do need you. We need you up there persuading people that unless they change the government, we're all going to hell, because we are. Thank you very much. An applause, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Um, Attila, I'd just like to um, give, give you the last, uh, last couple of words um, because it was your idea uh, to have this panel and um, I'm, I'm really grateful to you, as I said, for not just having the idea but it's actually helping us to put this together. It's, it's been really fantastic um, to hear from students as well as to um, hear from us. So, um, Attila, I just want to yeah, let, let you say the last couple of words or whatever, whatever uh, you want to say. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, um, I am almost lost for words, but um, I, th I think what this has shown us, this uh, brief, um, uh, or the last one hour or so, um, that basically um, there's, there's a plethora of ideas out there, and, it, and this is the time and the space for us to engage with one another and to think uh, critically about some of those narratives that Mike Holm has actually spoken about previously and that we have also heard about today. Um, and for me, I think what's important is, I mean, yes, so we have, there's a lot of opportunities here with the King's Sustainability Office, with the Climate Action and others. There's plenty of other societies out there that you can engage with. Um, personally, I'd like to just, um, I think, uh, take my time here as an opportunity to engage with the cultural dimension of climate change, because to me it seems that um, many of those issues, the causes, but also the implications are rooted in culture. It's here, but also what we in what we call the global south, where cultures are affected by our actions and our decisions. So thank you, Claire, for, for the opportunity to do this with us, with the society, and to give the stage to some of uh, the voices and ideas out there. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. And it just uh, remains for me now to, to thank the panel, uh, particularly um, Sarah Lunnan, um, Franz Burkhout, and Yona Andertiller for joining us. Um, it's just been great um, to have you here with us. And um, thanks especially to Sarah, as I said, for traveling all the way from, from Stroud um, to come and join us today. Um, and thank you for coming, and thanks especially for those who came and shared that, that, those perspectives. I'm sure, obviously, you were speaking for yourselves, but I also saw people nodding and feeling that they were um, speaking for, for others in the room as well. So it's been, thank you so much for, for sort of coming and, and doing that. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the AKC podcast. If you have enjoyed this lecture, please click subscribe in your podcast app to receive future episodes. AKC, at the heart of King's thinking.